Welcome to the I Heart My Community Podcast, a place where values and actions intersect, where we speak with business and community leaders about creating community that is inclusive and diverse. It's a place where we love each other and where we challenge each other so we can grow and create change that supports a community where we all love to live. Today we speak with Della Avle. Uh, Della practices law in-house in the Bruce Power Law Division. His practice focuses on corporate, commercial, uh, and commercial and energy law. Uh, Della was born in Ghana and moved to the US for university where he obtained his BA from Brandeis University and his law degree from Harvard. Yes, I said Harvard. Uh, prior to Bruce Power, he practiced law with major law firms in New York, Accra, which is in Ghana, and Toronto. Della has lived in Bruce County since he joined Bruce Power in 2009. So really excited to have you here. Welcome, Della. Thank you. Thank you very much. Excited to be here. Really excited for this conversation. Um, when we first talked about what to talk about, um, we had some, some ideas and we, the one we came up with is sort of this conversation about, you know, behind, you know, beyond parades and window stickers and studies and action plans. Um, how do we actually create inclusive communities? And when we talk about in inclusive communities, um, we're talking about that in the context of a work community, but also within uh, a rural community, which we both live. You live in Port Elgin, and I live um, about 30 minutes down, a bit down the highway in King Carden, and all within yeah. Bruce County, which has its own interesting uh, community in of itself. Um, so before we kind of get into the idea around window stickers and parades and, and studies, I'm really interested in, if we sort of start at the beginning, you and I talked last week that you were born in Ghana. And one of the things you said is, you know, born in Ghana, there was black people around. I didn't even know what racism was. So would you walk us through just sort of your experience of growing up in Ghana, then moving to the US and where you finally landed here in Bruce County and just share a little bit about that journey for you? Yeah, sure. Um so I, I was born in, well, I grew up in Accra, the capital. Um, and when I say this, people laugh, but everybody was black. So it, it sounds weird, but, you know, it didn't dawn on me that I was black because we were all black. In other words, black being different didn't really register. I think the only non-black people I saw were some, you know, we had some immigrants from the Middle East. And then the, I think the parish priest at the Catholic Church was Dutch. So that was pretty much it. Um, not to say that everybody's the same because in Ghana you have your different tribes depending on which part of the country you come from, but the differences are really not based on, you know, typically if everybody, for instance, spoke English, you had no clue where the person came from. And it was really not easy to look at somebody and say he's from this part of the country or that part of the country. Like typically wherever I travel, people thought I was from there, just to tell you how sort of, to a certain degree, homogeneous we all were. And in Ghana, you go to school. High schools are kind of like universities here because you just write into the university, the high school, and they're graded. So you just get into what you can. And then if you stay in Ghana, typically you finish, you go to university and, you know, you do the normal things. Um, my high school just happened to be science oriented. So a lot of my friends wanted to like go abroad and study at like MIT and stuff like that. I really had no particular interest because one, I couldn't afford it. 
Um, whereas if I stayed in Ghana, you know, because of my grades, university was going to be more or less free. Um, but long story short, I, um, I got wind of the fact that he could apply for scholarships. So mm. I applied for scholarships and I got a full ride to Brandeis. So I told my parents, hey, buy me a one-way ticket and I'm out of your hair. So, <laughs> um, so I kind of sprung that on them and they were like, sure. And, you know, I got on the plane, wore my best polyester suit. <laughs> Hopped <laughs> on the kill if you're going to make a movie about some immigrant kid going to the US that was me because I never really traveled right and I remember like after I tell you on the KLM plane all these people were looking at me with amusement because I was it was pretty obvious what I was like some kid going to university right traveling alone um so then I arrived in Boston um and Boston's a big university town right like it's there's so many universities within a couple of hours drive and so Brandeis is in Waltham, actually, but that's a 20-minute drive from downtown Boston. So get there, there's an international student's orientation. So we get a week earlier, so you bond with your friends, and some of those people are my friends up to this date. Um, so basically, that was me in undergrad. I did my degree in English and American literature, minor in international studies. At that point, I'm like, well, what am I going to do? Typical, you know. Even in university, you know, my, Brandeis is an interesting place because um, – it's not surprising that it's it's a private university in Boston. Um, it's primarily white, but you know it's also uh, there's a lot. It's not a religious school, but a lot of um, there's a lot of Jewish people who attend Brandeis, and so it's built into the culture. Um, but it's a liberal arts university, and so you, if you know anything about U.S. education, liberal arts colleges tend to be uh, literally fairly liberal and left leaning. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was fine. Um, I had a good time, but also because a lot of my friends were in the Boston area. Um, while I went to Brandeis on any given weekend, I could be at, hanging out with my friends at MIT with the African students. Or there were so many students, I could actually be hanging out with the Ghanaian students. That's how international Boston was. Wow, right? that's fascinating. Um, yeah, so that was cool. Um, so at that point, you're in a community and Brandeis is kind of on its own campus. So when you're when I was at school, I really didn't have interactions with people who were not students or faculty, right? Mm. We sort of lived in this little island, which was so nice. And then I went to law school. So at this point, you're still feeling very much part of the community, feeling? Yeah, I mean, there were things like, you know, if you think I have an accent now, just think about me my first year. <laughs> like in English class, the professor would, I mean, they were nice people. They'd be like, uh, Della, can you slow down a bit? And I also speak very fast. So, I mean, I'm aware of that. So it wasn't really an issue, but sometimes I'd have to speak more slowly for people to understand. But for me, that wasn't a negative thing. Just I had a different accent. Sometimes I couldn't understand Americans because they also had an accent. So it was a give and take. Um, And then, and even then, you know, and then, then I got to law school, which is in Boston, like Harvard is in Boston. So now I lived in the community as opposed to on campus. Mm-hmm. So there were some interesting things there, you know, because um, Boston, while the, you know, in the university life, it's very liberal. The town itself, again, outside of students, has its issues, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, mm-hmm. So I had some skirmishes, shall we say, <laughs> um, with Same non-friendly with people. Non-friendly people, okay. Were they, when well, you well, say that... Well, so I'll give you an example. Maybe that should mm-hmm. encapsulate the point. So the university is in a nice 
leafy neighborhood. But, you know, and so we all lived around. But there's one afternoon, for instance, I was supposed to, I don't know, we were going with a bunch of my friends. They were supposed to pick me up later. But I used to, you know, I biked everywhere. So I was biking to my apartment and they were supposed to meet me and then pick me up. So I bike, I'm locking up my bike and then a car stops and there's a gentleman in there. If it wasn't a police car, it was just a gentleman. So he goes, where are you going with that bike? That was literally his first comment to me. Okay. And you know, I was said, what is it to you? Anyway, it started escalating. Then eventually he said, I'm a cop. And I said, well, so what? First and foremost, you haven't showed any idea. I'm a lot. He didn't know I was a law student. So, you know, I, I was reading him the riot act. Um, and then, you know, anyway, we it de-escalated, moved on. But there, there'll be little things like that, right? And I, you know, I don't know if you recall recently when, when Obama was president, there was a Harvard professor who was arrested trying to get into his own house. Because mm. it was literally the same neighborhood. So the point I'm making is, you know, between undergrad and law school, now I'm in the community. So he starts sort of, seeing these kinds of things. But from a school perspective, no problems. Mm-hmm. Harvard Law School is one of the largest schools in the world, so it's fairly international, so that was fine. And at this point in your life, what, how are you viewing the situation having come over from Ghana? Are you, are you feeling like this is sort of a, a racially motivated conversation or are you feeling like it's... What, like oh, that particular one, 100%. No, 100%. Yeah. That particular one. And, and I think part of the reason also was, you know, Anybody who's been to Boston, you, you, you go from like Harvard Square to Central Square. And so they're like, nice neighborhoods, not so nice, nice, not so nice. So yeah. what I read was he basically assumed I was somebody from a not so nice neighborhood trying to steal a bike in a nice neighborhood. It's not that way to look at. Yeah. Like, there's no reason for him to accost me, right? Like, it's really that simple. But brushed it off, moved on with my life, right? And it wasn't like a constant thought, to be honest, but... Mm-hmm. It was there. And the other thing you gotta realize is when you go to school, like in undergrad particularly, the campus police were very different from the types of police that you know you will see in terms of things that have recently happened. Mm-hmm. So for instance, you know, I would call campus police when I injured my ankle to drive me to class. Right? It's not a problem. Do you know yes. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the way it works, because you know, we're all in the same community. So there was really no issue there. Um so Again, law school, as I said, similar to my undergrad experience in terms of in class, it was fine. I didn't feel any particular, you know, uh, it was fine. I really didn't have any issues in law school in terms of my education per se. Um, You know, there may have been certain things where, you know, I, I think that, for instance, where you start seeing things where maybe you have a difference, which may not be a racially motivated difference, but maybe a background is, you know, most Canadian law schools will tell you, law students will say, there comes a time where you need to get a job. Like, you got to leave investing <laughs> your job. So part of the process is talking to law firms and then talking to the career person, right? Yes. And, 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 and so, you know, I, I think, to be frank, that you anybody will tell you that, you know, to be a good lawyer, to succeed, it's not just being smart. There are things that, you know, this, this thing called fit, whatever that means. So when you talk to them and you sort of say, well, I'm going for interviews and some are not going so well, and the comments they'll make will suggest, well, you're not doing your best to be a fit, right? And you go, well, mm. I'm not sure what you mean, but we dance around the issue. We don't really do anything. And, you know, so you move on. Yeah. And that was that. But overall, 
law school was another pleasant experience living in this little cocoon. But um, mm -hmm. so after that point, so far, so good. And so then you head to, is it Wall Street? You said you like, is it Wall Street you head to? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's literally wasn't Wall Street, but it's the effectively Wall Street. Um, yeah, so then, you know, you kind of do your summer internship. Um, in the U.S., that's how it works. And then there's no article in like it is in Canada. You do your internship. Typically, you know, not typically, I don't know how it worked for everybody else, but most of my classmates, you know, your first internship or your second one, they offered you a job. So by the time you graduated, you knew you were going there. But, you know, I had some interesting experiences also, you know, in the corporate world, you know. Um, but the point is, you know, your question was really what was the journey? So before we start talking about the details, the journey was, so I did that, worked in a law firm for a bit. Um, it really wasn't working out. So at that point, not only did I leave the law firm, I was like, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to Ghana. So I literally called my parents. I'm like, I'm coming back home. They're like, seriously, have you thought this through? I'm like, no, yeah, have I thought it through? I have a ticket. I'm coming in two months. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> so, but then I, you know, I, I spoke to a few friends and the interesting thing is, you know, to sort of tie into how I ended up in Canada, you know, because I was always on a student visa, I wasn't like a permanent resident or a green card or a citizen. So my stay in the U.S. was kind of tied to whether I was working. So I, to this day, I'm thankful to one of my best friends that said, I know you're trying to go home and all of this, but you've been away for a long time also, right? Undergrad law school and now working for a few years. So if you go home and you don't like it, it's going to be difficult for you to just get up and show up in the U.S. again. Um, so, you know, here family in Canada, he said Canada is really a point system. So if you want to work in North America, you might want to consider Canada. And in my personal relationship, you know, at the time, you know, the person I was with, we kind of, we were living in the UK, I was living in the States, and we both agreed Canada was a nice neutral ground that if things worked out, we ended up. So I sort of did the normal Canadian process. And then I went back to Ghana for a couple of years. And then when my Canadian papers came through, I said, you know what, I'm going to give it a shot and see how it goes. And if it works better this time, then I'll stay. If not, I'll go back home because I could do very well in Ghana also. So, you know, pack my stuff again, hopped on a plane, this time dressed a little better, knowing where <laughs> I was going. <laughs> so, you know, and I showed up in Canada and then I had to jump through some hoops that if you're foreign trained, not if you're foreign, because if you're Canadian and go to school elsewhere, you still have to jump through certain hoops to be called to the bar and all that. I did all that stuff. And I got a job on Bay Street and try the process again. So. And then you end up in Canada. End up in Canada, end up working in a law firm in Toronto. Yeah. And then after a few years, decide what else is out there. And then ended up at Bruce Power, where I've been for over 10 years now. Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. So, so now you find yourself in, you know, Bruce County, Port Elgin, which probably can't be the furthest sort of uh, geographical place from where you grew up in Ghana. What was that like for you to transition here? So it's interesting because um, when I was interviewing, they kind of asked me that question. One of the things I forgot to tell you in the chronology was that when I was in Ghana, I got a chance to spend a year volunteering with the United Nations in Liberia. Mm -hmm. So 
don't know if you know anything about Liberia, but at that time they were just coming out of civil war. <clears throat> they were about to do an election, but you know, a country that had been fighting for years, so the infrastructure wasn't there. And so I was with the United Nations, but that was also quite a culture shock because you show up in a war-torn country and part of my job required me to literally be sent to remote areas to work with magistrates and so because the legal system was broken so they would take you and you know think of it as in canada it's not the same but say they sent you to nunavut to work and you are from toronto so they'll drop me there uh for a few days and then they'll pick me up that was a bit of a culture shock because you're really coming from like ghana is relatively well developed so like you know you can get whatever you want you go to the store but there things are scarce so when i go there you know I have to carry my provisions and you, know, you, you gotta like carry bottles of water. So there is that bit. Um, and to them, I was foreign, right? They matter that I was black, like I was totally foreign. So there was a bit, of, and there's a bit of a language barrier depending on where you were. So the point of that is so when I moved to Bruce County because I, you know, done the Liberia thing also, I wasn't really faced by, you know, where I work. Like for me, what I said to them, and which is true, is I'm more interested in what I'm doing as opposed to where I'm doing it. Um, and, and so and to be perfectly honest, ignorance is also bliss, right? I didn't know anything about Bruce County. It was in the summer. <laughs> I showed up, all the houses are on the lake. It's sunny. Everybody's on a patio. You know, all the lawyers of Bruce Power, like from Bay Street, so there's a lot in common. I'm like, oh, well, you know, this is nice. For the price of a Toronto condo, I can get a house. A little bit so, of heaven on earth in the middle of a summer in Bruce County. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, that the, the I, I didn't really honestly put too much thought into where I was going to live. It's a two and a half hour drive to Toronto. So in my head, worst case scenario, in the weekend, I'll drive back to Toronto. So mm. that's how we started. So courageous, I just would like to say about your life story so far. Just so many, you know, leaving Ghana, leaving everything you know, heading to the U.S., that whole journey, ending up working with the U.N., um, and then, of course, being here, taking a leap of faith and, and moving up here to this area on your own. is. What I would tell you, though, is if you spoke to a lot of sort of people here who are not native to Bruce County, particularly international people, my story will not be unique though, right? There are mm -hmm. folks who've left India, who've left Pakistan, who've left Ireland, you know, and a lot of people we hop on a plane and we go to school somewhere, right? So mm -hmm. yeah, it's interesting, but I, to be perfectly honest, you if you interview 10 different, you know, I'm Canadian, but if you interview 10 different people who say we're not born yet, eight of them will probably have a similar story. But to me, it was more an adventure. I was yeah. looking at more, I did like, hey, what's next? So. <laughs> So what was it like then? So it kind of fast forward to let's even, you know, 10 years ago in Bruce County is even different than it is now. And from what I've noticed, I've lived here for 18 years now. So 10 years ago yeah. till now, what do you notice differently about what the town looks like, how it's, you know, what the, what the in diversity no looks like? In no particular order, I will tell you. So when I moved onto my street in Port Hogan, mm -hmm. there was, you know, my house is on the middle of the street. There was a house at the corner that was mine. Then there's another house, open space. Now every single place is filled. Hmm. Right? That's one. When I moved here, people were talking about the fact that the, um, I think the big grocery store was there for a little bit. And then there were a few large stores that had just opened. 
but there was still, you know, there was Tim Hortons, there was one or two restaurants, and that was it. Um, the town had a lot of people who, in my mind, you know, they were here for work. And so on Friday, when I was heading to Toronto, there were like hundreds of cars, mm. everybody leaving. And on Monday, when I was coming back, hundreds of cars, which suggested that people just worked and left. And these are not contractors. These are people who work here, right? Interesting, yeah. Because they just, and, and a lot of people didn't have their families. A lot of my friends had their families in Toronto because there just wasn't anything for them to do here unless basically wanted to go to the few pubs here. Um, so that was sort of the area. Um, in terms of even work itself, I mean, and I, I, I'm a lawyer, so I didn't spend most of my time in the plants. So I don't know what the plants sort of look like from a diversity perspective. But the cafeteria and, you know, the main cafeteria between when I joined and now is quite different. Mm. One, from an age perspective, they seem to be like, you know, not an ageism comment, but a lot of older people who were closer to retirement and a few mm -hmm. young people. And then there was just a lot of ethnic diversity. Now, when I go into the cafeteria, this it looks more diverse than it was. And in my town, you know, there are people from all kinds of places. You know, there's an Indian restaurant, there's all kinds of there's a Thai restaurant. There's, you know, when I look around and literally, you know, as I'm talking to you, I'm looking out my window, you know, I see all kinds of people walking their kids. So the town has changed a lot. And I, and I just think that as more people work and as the company sort of entrenches itself in town and people feel like there's a place to be, you know, and like people attract like people. So in other words, the way it works is, you know, if you got a couple of Ghanaians here and they're talking to their friends, they're like, well, if they can be there, maybe I'll check it out. Next thing you know, there'll be a few, right? So yeah. that's kind of how it looks like now relative to you know, when I moved here 11 years ago. Yeah, sounds like it's so definitely. And I would say I've noticed that too in, in King Carden that definitely it's definitely more of a place people are coming to live versus yeah. stay for a while or live during the week, you know, leave on the weekends. It's definitely, and, yeah. and diversity is, is growing for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I would, and so just a question I have for you is, you know, welcoming versus belonging. Where do you think, like when you hear the word, you know, your community is welcoming, whether that's at your work community or your community that you live versus I feel like I belong. Do you, do any of those words resonate with you one more than another or, uh, as it relates to where you're at? I think welcoming and belonging go together because if you don't feel that people are welcoming, you're not going to ever feel like you belong, right? Mm -hmm. And this is totally coincidence, but I'll digress to make a point. I was listening to BBC Today, just totally randomly, and they were talking about how the U.S. Army was desegregated. And the, this 90-year-old soldier who had fought in the Korean War, what he said was, look, what they desegregated, so they therefore allowed, you know, black people to serve in the army, but they did not integrate. So mm. we, they were allowed, he felt that we were allowed to be there, and when we were fighting together, yes, you know, you, you're wearing the same uniform, but outside that, there was really no integration. Mm. So in my mind, when I come back to, you know, welcoming and belonging yeah you know this is Canada right like nobody's going to say you can't live here and you know no people would say you know of course you can work here but if if the types of things you like to do are not here 
then you're not going to really feel like it's welcome. It, it may not be that people, it may not be that you feel unwelcome. So, you know, one of the things that I found pleasantly surprising when I got here, like I love soccer. Like mm -hmm. if I had a religion, that's my religion. So I showed up <laughs> in the summer and guess what? Somebody told me, hey, you know what? After work on Wednesday, show up here and let's play soccer. Guess what? At work, even though I told you that, you know, when I showed up there, it wasn't particularly diverse. Well, the little diversity there was, most people played soccer. So I showed up there and, you know, there's some Africans. I was like, you work at Bruce Bar? Yeah, you work at Bruce Bar? Yeah. Now, they work in the plants. I couldn't see them, but they showed up. But not only that, there were Irish people, there were Scottish people, there were English people. So I had that community, mm -hmm. right? So if I didn't have that, I doubt I would have had much social interaction outside of work. That's kind of how it started. And then I met some soccer players who play golf. So then I started playing golf, right? But so if you show up and, you know, your only interaction is with people at work, well, then, you know, depends. If you like them, then you can hang out with them. But if not, when work is over, you know, I, I you may just come up to your house and just stay there and just wait till you can leave, right? Yeah. So in winter, for instance, it was different for me because when the snow prevented me from leaving, then I'm like, oh, I'm stuck here, and you know, we're not playing soccer, but at least I made some friends. So I, I think that from the perspective of feeling welcomed, that if you think about it as the people you're, you're coming to, also have to make you feel that you're, you know, they want you here. That's what I see as being welcomed, right? Right, right. So, they want you here. Yeah. So there's a, there's like, I was hearing in there, there's a social connection piece. There's a cultural piece. Like, are there, you know, uh, restaurants available that are interesting to me as well? Um, uh, are there people that enjoy some similar activities that I do? Are they available? Um, and that makes me feel welcome and part yeah. of the community. Yeah. Well, it's interesting yeah. going back to our topic for we were going to talk about today. Um, we're, you know, we're kind of dancing around it, but it, the idea of we could hold a parade or you could put stickers in a window or, or, or you know, Adela, we're going to have some action plans and we're going to do these things. They all seem to be sort of this surface stuff. Um, but what I hear you saying, it's, it's deeper than that. It is like you, you like, and, and, you know, this is really more about the community, but if you have been talking about work, right? So, so one of the things you learn as, you know, when you start working as a lawyer is, you know, your success is not necessarily because you work the hardest or you're the smartest, right? Mm -hmm. now, there's a minimum threshold to get in, right? But when you look at people who succeeded in some of the law firms, it wasn't like the associate who worked hardest, right? It may just be that they had a rapport with a partner who had the best work, mm. right? And some of these interactions happen outside work. So if, for instance, you know, a senior partner is golfing with a bunch of junior associates who golf and you don't golf, it's not that they had anything against you, but they never thought to ask you because one, in some cases, they assume you don't golf or two, maybe you actually don't golf. So they go golfing and they have discussions. And so there is that outside office rapport and then it starts building, right? They're different. So even, even within the neighborhoods, right, if somebody hadn't said to me, hey, Della, you know, you're from Ghana, actually, you know, you guys love soccer, you people play soccer, you want to come play, I would never have known. I, may, I might have seen people playing, driving yeah. by, and if I was an outgoing personality, I may stop and ask. But if I wasn't, I may not necessarily stop and play with them. So even at work, right, it's really a question of 
are people including you, right? If people are chatting about, do people just deal with you on, I have to deal with you, now that was your work, have you done my work for me? Great, see you later. And when they hang around after work, do they invite you? Do you feel part of that, right? And, and it's really that sense of feeling that you belong to where you are that makes you feel, you know, it's okay for yeah. me to be here, I can succeed here, right? Yeah, so you're, it's, am I being included at like a human level? Like, it's great that you have like a sticker in your window saying that you, you know, stop racism. But are you inviting me to the events that you do? Are you thinking about that? And, but I also heard a piece in there that it's not that you think it's intentional. It's a bit of, it's a bit of human nature. Like, I know this person and therefore we have this relationship. And so what are your thoughts about how, you know, what can business leaders or community leaders do differently? Like, it sounds almost like well, just think about it a little bit, <laughs> but what would you say? So first, I got to comment that it's lots of studies have shown that diversity of any kind, whether it's on the basis of sex, race, ideas, age is good for business, mm -hmm. right? It just is. So absolutely. Let's take that as a given. Secondly, now, it's been a long time since I hopped on that plane, which was my first trip outside Ghana. Since then, I have been to many countries, lots of countries, lots of cities. And when you travel and you see other people who are culturally different, it just broadens your perspective, right? And so when you know people better, you interact with them better, and it's just a mutual, you know, it's a symbiotic relationship. Everybody benefits. So. Coming back to our community, you know, whether it's my company or any company in town, a little, even like, you know, if you own a little bookstore in town, you own a restaurant in town, how do people feel comfortable? Well, you have to actively tell yourself, well, you know what, I, be, I want to be more inclusive. How do I make these people feel comfortable? Like, so now I consider myself like senior associates. And at work, when we have junior lawyers, you know, I think back to when I was young, and I was, I was thinking, well, I don't want to bother these people who have this question, but you know, I don't want to sound like an idiot. So I may not ask them versus, you know, when a senior lawyer or a senior, you know, person at the company who's, you know, whatever your traits, whatever your position sort of feels, hey, this person is not directly working for them, but I want to let them feel that they can ask me any question and, and make them feel comfortable. That goes a lot further, right? So there is that, you just got to like, Think of it as, let me put it differently. Say 10 of us were playing soccer, okay? And, and it's happened, right? Where typically when I was playing, we we're all young men, and then you see like some little kid who's like 16, hovering about, he, he kind of wants to play. And in my mind, I'm like, if he wants to play, you know, put on your shoes, but, and then somebody goes, hey kid, you want to play? And then he, yes, yes, I want to play, and he comes over. Well, it was a simple interaction, but now he's comfortable that we want him there. So it's no different, right? Like everybody, we all work, but you got to look at it and go, you know what? People who may not have the same experience or may not either from, I've been doing my job for 30 years, not me, but whatever the job is, or I've been doing it for 10 years and somebody's young to the industry, it's the same thing, right? It is, you know, if we, if we all take the position that it's better for our community to be diverse, and I would suggest that I believe most people would believe that, Mm -hmm. then there are the little things that everybody has to do. You know, there's structural things. You can talk about that. I can go on at length about all of that. And the fact that if you look at Maybe that's companies, part two. You know, yeah, right, right. But, 
but just on an individual level, yeah. you know, if you take the view that I just want to be more inclusive and, you know, ask people, hey, is there anything I can do to make you more comfortable here? Then, you know, even within our town councils, right? If our towns say, hey, what do we want to do? And suddenly you notice that, or you have a whole group of people coming here and you say to yourself, well, how do I make these people feel comfortable? Yeah. Right. Well, I really, yeah, it's so interesting because it is a simple question, but it's like any part of self-awareness, you know, we kind of just go through our lives the way that we do and interact in our own patterns because we're all creatures of habit. But are we able to just stop and say, you know, how am I inclusive now and how could I be more inclusive and look at even just, you know, um, at work in my, you know, people that maybe I, well, I guess in the days when we would go to lunch together at, at work, we don't really have those right now um, in this COVID world, but what are the ways that I am being inclusive? What, who else could I invite to this? Um, or that Correct. picture, that vision of, of that person standing off watching you play soccer. I think everybody can relate to a time when somebody, you know, bridged connection with them and invited them in, whether, you know, it's a racial issue or not, whether it's a gender issue or not, just a human issue. We can all relate to a situation like that and what that feels like when somebody includes you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And what, what do you think gets in the way? You know, you said, you know, and I, I kind of feel this way too. Now I feel like I've reached a certain age. I'm less worried about asking a question that I don't know the answer to. There's sometimes a lot of fear, like, oh, what, what am I going to ask this person who I don't know anything about, and maybe I'll offend them. What do you say to people about that that might just be nervous to say? Like, for example, you come from Ghana, and maybe I don't know a lot about Ghana, and I might be, you know, I might not know what to say to you. What, what do you say to, to that? Well, if, well, put it this way. If I don't know you at all, and we haven't had any interaction, and I blurt out some random question, you may take it differently from, think of a good friend who asks you what you consider an ignorant question, but you know they are good people. Your, your attitude to that ignorant question is different from yes. somebody just asking you a question out of the blue, where now you have no context for how to interpret that question. Mm -hmm. So if there's somebody that you wanna know more about, maybe you don't start by accentuating their differentness. Hey, you're from Ghana. What do people do there? They say, hey, hey, Della, do you want to have a beer or whatever? Like, hey, we're dealing with this issue. Do you have any experience you want to add? And I may say, well, you know, in Ghana or in Toronto or in Boston when I had, mm -hmm. right? So, look, make, be friends with people and then you can pretty much ask them any question. Like, I've had people ask me questions that I'm going, oh my God, did you just ask me this question? But I'm not offended because I know them, right? So it's, you know, I, I'm sure I've asked people questions and they've gone, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Why are you asking this question? But <laughs> Well, I love what you said. I, you said, look for what's the same. Well, look yeah, for what we have that, in right? common. Like, what, look what we have in common. Let's start there. Right. You, know? you like soccer? I like soccer. Um, you know, you want, you, you know, we live, both live here. What do you like about living in this rural area? Um, what brought you to it, this area? It, yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's about, you know, I'm going to say this because it's about sort of what tribe you want to be in. So this is the Bruce County tribe, right? Mm -hmm. So now it's more, we're from Bruce County. And when I moved here, you know, it's fine. It's funny because my friends would tell you that now in the summer, I talk about those Toronto people in my community, like taking up parking spots, right? <laughs> I was one of those Toronto people, but now I just think of myself as I'm from Bruce County, right? So that's what it is. Yeah. 
So what, uh, what, I just want to ask you a couple more questions because we don't, we, uh, maybe five or 10 more minutes and then we'll have to wrap up. But um, I'm curious if I can yeah. take you back to, you know, wh where I started with this idea of this podcast was really this evolution this year mm -hmm. and really being, you know, seeing the, the racial inequities, the, 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 the riots, um, and really wanted to, to do something more than what I had been, you know, sort of merrily living through my life, um, you know, with, you know, a, not a full understanding of my own privilege and, and what can I do then to help, you know, people in my community feel more included? How can I be a better person and a better role model? So what was it? So if we just sort of go back to sort of the spring, uh, time, what was it like for you, you know, living in this rural Ontario place during, you know, that time of the, the killing of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and, and others? What, you know, what was happening with you at that time? So to, to be perfectly honest, that was a tough time. Like, you know, being a black person in, you know, in, in Bruce County, I remember somebody asked me that and I said, well, it's interesting because we live in a bit of a bubble here. And, mm -hmm. and so I feel that at that time, a lot of my focus was on Toronto. For some, some, some strange reason, I wasn't necessarily, I was more thinking about what was happening in Toronto. I was talking to my friends who lived in Toronto. I honestly didn't feel like there was any sort of particular interest here. I'm not saying there wasn't, but it was more, now there's also COVID. So this wasn't a scenario where you're going to work and interacting with people, right? literally sitting in your house so the people who are really calling you and talking to you about these things are people who are directly sort of feeling it mm. right and so you know now that's not it's, i'm not saying that only my black friends reached out to me no i mean folks i work actually reached out and you know asked how i felt about it but you know they were more interested in me per se and then i was also talking to my friends about their well-being and you know what everybody was thinking because then you start thinking about a whole bunch of things, right? You start thinking about, you know, those, they call them microaggressions, all the little things that would happen to you, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I didn't go through a litany of things that would happen in Boston, but, you know, my roommate in law school had a car, how many times we had been stopped, like two black guys driving around for no particular reason, right? Versus, you know, here it's, you know, even when I moved here, to be perfectly honest, you know, like you start thinking about things that you don't really, it didn't really register before, mm -hmm. right? So somebody asked me and said, well, okay, what are all the black people here doing? Like somebody literally asked me that. And I said, I don't know because I, I, I suspect that, you know, I haven't spoken to too many people at this point, but I suspect that a lot of people are focused and worried about their friends and family that have left in Toronto. And I wasn't sure people necessarily felt that they needed to do a march in Podogin. And I didn't see anybody much. Maybe if there was, I didn't see, right? So to me, it's more a question of in that particular instance, my mind wasn't thinking about <clears throat> what, are we, <clears throat> what are we doing here, right? It was more like, what are the folks doing in Toronto? Because I knew there was a critical mass of people there who were directly impacted. So was it more of a relatability? Like <clears throat> my, the people I know in Toronto can maybe relate more and, and here there isn't necessarily it, you're, you're that. You're probably right. It may have been that. I didn't go through that process consciously. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know, to be honest. And, and to be perfectly frank with you, right? Again, as I said, because it was COVID, there wasn't really that 
other interactions she would have had. I have no idea whether there could have been, you know, some spontaneous matches or not, right? I think I, there was I, some. I think there was definitely, there was a little one in King Carden and I think there was some, I think there was a little one in, in, in Port Elgin as well. There may, there may have been, that that's yeah. fair enough. But I, I, you know, at least it wasn't one that I was directly, I knew directly about. And so, but that, you know, th those were tough times. But, um, and, and I think one of the things I feel, again, I don't know this for a fact, is that there is a bit of a tendency in Canada to say that's them south of the border right mm. but if you have black friends or brown friends in the gta there are lots of things they deal with right and and so it's it, and the other thing is you know it's one of those things that first and foremost it was so graphic particularly the george floyd one that it, unless you were an absolute monster any human being who looked at that said that was just absolutely awful right mm. but as a black person when you looked at that in your mind, you go, that could be me. Yeah. Right? Because when you think about it, just do my, my, my thought process was, I don't know how many times you've had, say, a young white kid shot because he was mildly threatening versus, you know, it just seemed that in some circumstances, the immediate reaction to anything was gunning somebody down. So as a black person living here, it was tough to take, right? And, and I was in Toronto when the fellow who uses van killed like 10 women. Remember the story? I do remember And that. what I found interesting was that, you know, when the cop showed up, this is Canadian police, and I think part of that makes us sort of think it's so much better here. The fellow took out his wallet and the policeman didn't shoot him. Mm -hmm. And that really struck me. There is zero chance if this person was in some <laughs> parts of the city or the world, they would have even put that finger out, right? So I, I think, you know, to, it's a difficult question to answer because to be perfectly honest, as I said, I didn't sort of look within my immediate community to, you know, I didn't talk to my neighbors about what they were thinking. Like I didn't yeah. raise the issue, right? So um, my, my view is I, my consciousness was sort of in the GTA and sort of how people were dealing with it. And I just felt bad that I was kind of here and wasn't doing anything about it, but. Well, and, and I, you know, in hearing your response there, I think just to share, um, my response to that was, you know, I haven't done enough. How, like, wow, look at where we are. And, and in talking with local people, racism does exist here. It's not in the same way uh, that it, it exists um, perhaps in, in some of the bigger cities here in Canada. Um, but it's still very much, you know, there are lots of stories of, of people being treated differently in restaurants and out in the community and kids being called names at school uh, using racial, racial slurs that, you know, so it's still, I think, as Canadians, we're maybe a lot more polite about it. Um, we tend to and, be pretty neutral. You know, we don't really share our views openly uh, <laughs> because we want and, to be and, politically and, correct. And, and actually, that's a good point you make because political correctness or sort of internalizing how people think is actually worse, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, a friend of mine who's black made, you know, he made a comment to me where his kid was reading, I don't know whether it was a newspaper or just reading something, and somebody seemed stunned that the kid could read. And he goes, my 
kid is, I don't know what they, how the kid was six years old, he can read. Why, why are you surprised? Like, it was a little comment, but you know, I don't have a kid, but I, as a parent, I'll go, what was your basis for assuming my kid couldn't read potentially other than his skin color, right? Like, so there is lots of things like that. And so, you know, yes, do, you know, cops chase me around in Podogin? No. Do they sort of prowl and chase black people around? No, but there are lots of things that people do that if you were to take a poll of people who live here and they were pretty honest with you, I'm sure some of those things exist here. And so until we sort of address it head on, mm-hmm. um, it's not going to happen. I think our conversation has been more on the positive side, so I've kept it that way. So. <laughs> well, I know it's not that I want to not talk about hard stuff. I mean, we can, um, you, what I'd like to do is have another conversation with you because I'm going to do more of these, but I would, I would like to, if you're open to it, um, maybe in a, a, a couple of months, have you back and talk about some of these other things because there's so many things to talk about. Um, uh, but I didn't want it lost here that racism still is, exists here, has always <laughs> existed here in rural Ontario. Um, you know, we're good people. I, I don't think, and I know in examining my own bias, it's not because <laughs> I don't want to be a good person. There's just lots of things that I have learned uh, that I wasn't aware of that I have to unlearn. And I think that's the challenge is how do I, how do I be conscious about how I interact in a way that's inclusive, uh, you know, even more than I already am. So there's lots of things that I can, that I can do differently too. What would you just sort of in closing, um, what, you know, what do you want to say to community leaders and business leaders, you know, that would go beyond this idea of, you know, it's not just the action plan and, and it's not just throwing up some window stickers or having a parade or even uh, just holding an event. What would you like to see different or what would you like to say to people um, kind of in closing around how they could, you know, be more inclusive in our community? Well, it's sort of three levels, right? At the interpersonal one-on-one, say you, me, me and my friends, you and your neighbors, it's easy. Just think about it as be more inclusive. And, you know, if, if particularly if you're in an area where there's a family who are not like you and they're new to the area, you got to think that, hey, making them feel more welcome than you would to a new family that look like you, who you think should be more comfortable is one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, if you saw some random black kid riding in your neighborhood, you know, maybe if you waved at him, that kid would feel very comfortable. It's that easy at that level. If you take it at, you know, there are lots of small companies around here, not just Bruce Palm, right? But so when I say companies, pretty much whether it's, you know, Bruce Telecom, whether it's the grocery store, wherever it is, I think there are enough, it could be way better, but between when I moved here now, there are, there's enough growing diversity at sort of, I call it a street level, but as you go higher and higher, you don't see that. So the question is, why not? Mm. Right? You got to ask yourself in your own company, you got to ask yourself in town, why do the minorities not have any of these leadership positions? It may be different for each company. It may be different for each industry. Maybe as simple as somebody saying, well, nobody ran to be mayor. Okay. But you know, have you made everybody comfortable feeling that they can run for mayor? You know, so I, I think that, if you take the view that you subscribe to diversity, it can't simply be talking the talk. You've got to do something active, right? I can't sit here and say I'm interested in young lawyers in the company doing well if I don't actively say to them, hey, let's grab lunch. Let me talk to you about 
how you feel yeah. joining the company. You got to do something concrete. I love that. You have to act on your values, not just say they're your values. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I could talk to you probably for another hour and we will, if you're open to it, have another conversation. Anytime. Anytime. <laughs> it's thank my community, so, so I'm interested in anything that helps it. So, well, thanks for having me. Thanks for thinking. Della, Della for mayor? Della for mayor? No, I am not interested in politics at all. No, 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 no. no. I'd rather coach the high school soccer team than do anything. So. Well, thank you so much. And we'll talk again soon. Sure. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye.